Seven full years of podcasting has enabled Rule Breaker Investing to have a pretty deep bench of topics, personalities, stories, memories shared by you and me. And when you return to a topic, a certain topic, return to certain guests, the experience becomes something more, more integral, more on our minds, deeper. One such topic recurring over the years has been what makes for a great company culture. From our first company culture tips episode seven years ago to today, we have asserted that the culture of your workplace really counts and that our award-winning culture at The Motley Fool might have some tips, tricks, and life hacks that can work for you, my dear fool, might have benefits that you can put into play in your own workplace, whether you're a CEO or oversee benefits or are just a new employee who can be a breath of fresh air in her workplace. Company Culture Tips, nine episodes worth of 10 tips each over history precedes this week's podcast. This week is the 10th. And as we said earlier this year, we would do, we are making this 10th the best of. Company Culture Tips, volume 10, the 10 all-time best, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. I'm very pleased to be with you this first week of December. And I'm even more pleased to be with my two guests here in the studio for this edition of Rule Breaker Investing. Now, this is Rule Breaker Investing, but we're actually going to be talking a little bit more about business today, and even more so, the business culture. I have two people that know how to do corporate culture better than almost anybody else I know, Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage, both longtime Motley Fool employees who are really partly the architects and partly the stewards of Motley Fool culture. As I mentioned last week, we're very proud of The Motley Fool that our culture has been recognized nationally in a number of different ways as the best employer. I really wanted to get underneath that this week, so I figured why not have Kara and Lee here to talk about 10 things that we do at The Motley Fool that, if I'm listening to this podcast, maybe I could do in my business too. Maybe I'm a small business person. We have a lot of them listening. Or maybe I work within a business or, or non-business. I think any organization can really benefit from what Kara and Lee are bringing this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We're going to go down the list. You've got 10. And I just want to say in advance that for a lot of the investing I do, I look for culture in the companies I'm investing in. So we're breaking our own rules this week on Rule Breaker Investing. We're taking a half step out of investing. This ultimately does map right back to picking this stock and not that one for me. Uh, that's enough prelude. Team, before I get started, I'd like you each to introduce yourself briefly, say what you do at The Motley Fool, how long you've been doing it, and one or two foolish things about you. Not to put you on the spot, Kara, but how about you first? I've been at The Fool just 10 years in the past couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was the identical transcript. Lee, Kara, Thank you for your bit parts. Sorry that you had bit parts. You'll have much bigger roles to play this <laughs> podcast. But that was the exact start to this series 
on December 2nd of 2015. Discerning listeners will notice I welcomed everybody back to this first week of December. Now, please don't tell me I missed Thanksgiving. Did we? Thanksgiving didn't happen yet. yet. Not yet. Okay, good, good. So it had not happened, but because we wanted to do the identical transcript from seven years ago, where we started this series, Company Culture Tips, we read it, and Rick inserted the record scratch there, Kara, because it's certainly not true anymore that you've only been at The Motley Fool for 10 years. We did that in 2015. How long have you been at The Motley Fool now? I will be here 17 years next week. Awesome. And Lee, I think you'd been here about 17 years. So there's some kind of... Yeah, karma, kismet, something's happening. Kismet, karma happening here. Now, how many years have you been? I'm doing the math. Uh, Next month will be 24 years. Spectacular. And you both have been present all the way through the series from the start to this celebration, the best of, the 10th edition. We talked about this Earlier this year, when we did Company Culture Tips Volume 9 together, we talked about the possibility of doing 10 near the end of this year as a best of. Looking back over seven years of Company Culture Tips, and you both have brought, we're now in 2022, we're no longer reading a transcript from 2015, you've both brought your favorite 10 looking back over the nine previous volumes of this series. So this is a best of. We don't have fireworks. Well, actually, we do have fireworks. Thank you, Rick. We don't have the solid gold dancers. Oh my gosh, maybe we do have the solid gold dancers. We don't have elephants or trumpets for you. Oh my gosh, I guess we do have those for this special edition. Karen Lee, what a delight to have you. Seven years, and what an incredible seven years it's been. In fact, let's delay your introductions for a second. Let's just talk about the last seven years. So I listened to this first podcast, Lee, and there we were talking about how we had just within the past year introduced this cool new thing at The Motley Fool, Slack. And it was from a new upstart company and it was reducing email in the office. It's just incredible. And the number of emails that I get today, I, they really rounds to zero compared to the amount of Slack. And my, my whole life is Slack. I can't imagine it without it now. So seven years later... That really has been yeah, true for you. fully taken over. Same for you, Kara? Absolutely. I feel like we all live and die by Slack now. Right. And it's fun to think you were saying, since we listened to the podcast seven years ago, you were talking about how the techies, our techies had brought that to us. It wasn't an HR initiative or CEO Tom Gardner saying, I've discovered this new tool. It bubbled up from, of course, some of the smartest people at our company, our techies. Absolutely. So we talked about Slack back in the day. We had also just introduced... Trello as a project management tool is that are we still using Trello? We've grown up now. We're we've gotten bigger, so now we've moved to Jira, which is Trello's cousin, owned by the same company, Atlassian, uh, and but just bigger and more complicated. And I'm still learning it myself. J I R A. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of bigger. We were talking in that first episode seven years ago about having about 300 employees at that point. Lee, how many employees do we have about today? About 600 employees today. So we've doubled in size since that first podcast. And as you looked back over the 90 previous tips that have come through this series, did you see ones that in some cases made more sense for a company that was 300 instead of 600? Does it feel different today? Were you with today's eyes as you thought about our top 10 all time? Were you thinking more about any company or more about sort of a mid-sized company of 500 plus employees today? When I look back 
at the list, they're really just things that we love to do that I think works for us. I'm not sure I felt limited by numbers. Some of them did not age well, and some of them have aged really well that we'll talk about today. And one other thing I was thinking about, Lee, is another tool that came to the fool in these past seven years. It was not there in 2015. We weren't thinking yet or using Zoom yet, but when did Zoom come to the Motley Fool within these past seven years? Oh, I have to ask Kara what the date is because she's actually the one that brought it to the company. But I will say it was a huge cultural challenge for us figuring out how to communicate with people that weren't specifically in the office. We had these fancy Cisco rooms and we had little like egg cartons on the wall trying to solve for um, sound. You know, Skype was cutting in and out and, and it was a big challenge for us and, until we really got on Zoom, which like you said, has taken over our life today. Do you do you remember the inception of that, Kara? Yeah, I do. I, at the time, we had opened an office in Denver and we had had maybe, I want to say 10% of our employees working just remotely but we were a very office culture, and it was about 2018. And I was laughing about this because I found a document because, Lee, you and I sat down and said, well, let's make it easier for people to work remotely. And we wanted to talk about, like, you can work from home if you want, but everybody's habit was just coming to an office, and we were trying to encourage us. So I wrote up this whole document, put Zoom as my top proposal, and on the document I wrote a goal, and it says, all fools are able to work remotely by April 2020. Wow. <laughs> kind Spooky. of freaked me out. Uh, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> and so uh, we were luckily prepared, uh, at least to some degree, because we had started to have this conversation. It, it has never been a great experience to be sitting in a conference room and being like the face on the wall, right? That's working from home. And so, um, or all kinds of comp. So we didn't realize that Zoom was going to take over our lives within a year. Mm. Well, and the story gets even a little creepier because as part of Kara's plan, we developed a test day where we closed the entire office and everyone worked from home as a day of test. And that was pre-planned and it turned out never came back. So we did that test. It was the first day we really closed for COVID and uh, we didn't reopen during all of COVID for what, a two-year period. That is amazing. Um, I My recollection is it was something like Friday, March 6th. I can't remember whether that was the exact day. Something like that. Yeah, Let's definitely. go with Ish. Do you have in your minds what day we reopened? Today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're still kind of we're still kind This is our first reopening. time in this room together. So. You know, and I'm glad you said that, Kara, because for any discerning longtime listener, you might notice our sound quality is kind of back to snuff pre-COVID levels. That's because this is the first podcast we've done from Full HQ, our studios here in Alexandria, Virginia, since before COVID. So me with my little Scarlet solo audio interface box that plugs into headset that I've used from my den for the last few years, that's been discarded for at least this week. And we're back to better sound, but even better, we're here with each other. And that's special too. So Karen Lee, thank you so much. And Kara, thanks for bringing Zoom to the Fool. That was uh, that was an important thing. We we Pretty were Zooming deal. before Zooming was cool. <laughs> All right. Out. Well, let's go back to where we were before the record scratch. I was just asking you, I'm going to ask you both again, to just reintroduce yourselves and one or two foolish things about you. Kara, you're up first. Sure. Uh, well, as I said, I've been here 17 years now. I have the learning and development and rewards team, and I focus on helping fools grow into the best possible career they have. And I do a lot of work on data and engagement surveys. 
And I guess one foolish thing about me I was thinking about is, I think I got a little of this from you, DG, but I love random pairings very much. Uh, as someone who is a little bit introverted, I love the idea that like, I don't have to introduce myself to people. There are three people at my table at lunch or someone I've been paired with at random for coffee or Zoom has breakout sessions I would have to be dropped into. Yeah. And, and kind of that slightly forced um, so you don't have to go through that. So I love any kind of random pairing group of things. That's kind of my foolish thing. That, that is I, very I always add capital. to my stuff. I, thank you, Kara. And thank you for doing that and making that happen. And yes, randomness and random pairings brings joy, sparks joy for both of us. Yes. And so thank you for sharing that. Lee Burbage, how long have you been at the Fool? 24 or so years next month? Yes, I've been here 24 years. I've always worked um, uh, in and around the people team and really just focus on I want people to love coming to work every day. I want them to be doing meaningful work for the company that they're really good at. And I've just always sort of focused on that trifecta of um, being good at something, loving what you're doing, and and that creates value for the company. I was trying to think uh, foolish. I think something that I've really enjoyed about working here all these years is the opportunity to have fun and to insert fun into things. And it's something I always try to do. I'm, I'm in the process now. We have our company-wide meeting next week, and I'm um, uh, building with Kara a flashcard memory game of fools' faces where you'll have to like, you know, play the game of your youth. And hopefully it teaches people a little bit about who all works here and reminds you some faces and some names. But it'll just be something fun. And I, I always like to try to bring a little bit of fun to everything that we're doing. And something that I really have appreciated about both of you is your open-mindedness and your willingness to scrap something that wasn't working or try <laughs> something new. And we might get back to that with our top 10 all-time company culture tips. We'll see. But I do want to say that a number of things we we do habitually today at The Motley Fool, which still make us an odd company when lots of other people hear what we practice, those things were often because either or both of you decided, you know what? Let's not make that compulsory. Every other company makes that compulsory. If we can't make it compulsory, we need to make it fun. We need to make it compelling. And so that would be one example of the great open-mindedness that I, I hope you felt agency and autonomy in your roles because you've created that for so many employees now over the years. So thank you both, for, among many other things, for that. Well, I would just say one of our shared favorite parts of our job is that you and your brother Tom have so many amazing ideas. And we really enjoy, like some of Kara and I's favorite days are when you've dropped a cool idea on us that maybe seems impossible and we're able to sort of craft it in a way that it works. Thank you. All right, we've got 10 queued up. And of course we have to do a sort of a count up model. So um, these aren't necessarily highly, highly force ranked, but we're gonna go with that just to make it more compelling from a human narrative perspective. So we're gonna start with our 10th best tip ever and we're going to roll up to number one by the end of this week's podcast. Let's start it then. I think, Lee, I'm going to you first for top 10 all-time company culture tip number 10. Thanks, David. Yes, I'll start with one that, and actually, as I look through all of these, some of them seem maybe obvious, but they've been resilient. They've stuck with us through the years and I think work well. And so number 10, I call Dreamy Check-In. And Dreamy Check-In is just simply the act of asking people how they're doing, do they need anything, anything else they'd like to be working on. A couple of things that are key there, just asking people how they're doing and mm. if they need anything is so powerful and so meaning that people are like, wow, they, you care about me, you want to know, you want to help. And what we found was 
every person in every job at every moment has something that they could use for help. Sometimes it's a small thing. I sure could use some more paper, right? Or sometimes it's something big where I really, I, I want a role change or I'm, I'm dreaming of working in a different part of the area. And you just might not know if you don't ask. And so taking the time to ask everybody at the company on some kind of regular basis, how are you doing? Do you need anything? What can I do to help? It's been very powerful for us. How many times a year do we do that? I'm putting myself, which I will be regularly throughout this week, in the seat of our listener who might be an entrepreneur, small business person. Uh, how often do you do this? Well, it's a great question. So when we first started this, it was just me. And I went around and asked everybody that question. How many employees did we have at that point? Uh, probably about 150 people at that time. <laughs> um, it took a little while. And Did you take notes or was this all from memory? I did take notes in a ridiculously <laughs> long word document. <laughs> and so we found, A, that doesn't scale uh, one person doing it or using a really long word document. So then we went to the human resources team. And then today we've expanded to, we have about 60 coaches working across across our company and they will do our check-ins for us. And uh, we partner with another company to have a tool that helps us manage those check-ins. And to answer your question, we're checking in uh, at least a couple times a year. Hmm. And we have a couple other formal places that we check in as well. But um, if, I'm, if I'm a company out there, I would recommend at least once a year asking those questions. And can you give me a sense of some of the most popular responses that we get or requests. Can you kind of buck it up? What's, what's sort of top five, not necessarily all five, but what are a few that jump out to you as like regular things that we hear? On the very easy side, often you'll find people that are limited by the technology that they have. And usually like their hardware is older or slower or they don't have the tools that they need. And those are so easy to fix to create great efficiencies. And again, on the other end of the spectrum, is it people that are really thinking about a role change or something else? Those are the ones that I love because traditionally in the world, people decide that they're getting ready to leave a job um, because they're looking for something else mm. and they just leave and the company never has a chance to respond. They All don't... we ever had to do was ask. Correct. All right. Before we go to number nine, the other thing that jumps out to me there, Lee, just your choice. Diction matters. For a pedant like me, and I think my fans have got to know this over the years, I really care about language, the words that we choose. Why dreamy? Dreamy, I um, specifically choose that word because a lot of people do check-ins, but they tend to be very um, scrum world type check-ins. What did you do today? How are you doing on that goal? Really, um, you know, daily task oriented. I'm talking about stepping back and saying, no, really, David, how are you doing? What do you need? What are you thinking long term? So it's purposely up in that more dreamer world mm. than it is the, um, you know, daily task orientation. Outstanding. All right, on to company culture tip, all-time great, number nine. Kara. That is, support systems are key. Um, we talked about this in September 2020, and our big focus back then was the new world of work and what we were doing. And But when I looked back, I realized this has been true for us all along. It was just very profound um, when people were kind of spreading out. One of my favorite channels is called HDAH. Hey, does anyone have? It's the Slack channel. And hey, does anyone, anyone have, have dot, dot, dot? And there is a community of 600 people that will give you advice on who's going to tune your piano or where to find a mortgage broker or you're raising twin toddlers or you live alone. And like, wow, the dog channel is very active, Lee and I will tell you. It's whatever life situation you're in. Again, we, we really focused. I remember during the pandemic was like we had groups where people like raising children by themselves with, you know, when people were homeschooling 
schooling and things like that. It's been true the whole time. I think we were just more deliberate about it this past year um, or in 2020 by necessity. So when I hear sometimes you hear about companies supporting work-life balance, I, I like the word support, you know, work, whatever is going on in your life right now. And so it can be peer-to-peer support. It can be the company supporting you with some creative benefits. Uh, we were just talking about one that we have is if you're moving, we will send you moving boxes, right? So that's a support, mm. just an extra thing. We take off your plate. It's super nice. And so I think just thinking about in your company how you're supporting people at different stages of their lives in different situations. And as we've grown and gotten bigger, just the variety has been there. But I found people have found their, their tribes out here. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about... Um how much support one can offer. And it largely comes down often to the size of the company, mm-hmm. but but even apart from the size, the resources that a company wants to give, whatever its size is. So with 600 employees, I can imagine we can't do as much as a company with 6,000 or 60,000 employees, but presumably more than if we had 60 or six. But I guess part of it, Kara, is just, it's almost not how much you do, it's how much you show that you care. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's peers, but it's also the company too. So I would say in the bigger companies, you're getting that scale, right? There's going to be bigger populations. What support do we wish we could offer that we can't yet because of our size? Because we're we're just not big enough yet, or maybe we're not grown up enough yet. Or I think that one thing that we dream about, and maybe it's less about our size, but maybe you get this at scale when you're huge, is some really personal medical care. Uh, what hmm. we see in in the United States, at least, is finding the right doctor for specifically what you're dealing with, um, having access to that person who really gets to know you, uh, the way that we get to know our employees. I think that we provide a really personal experience as a company, and we dream about that for our employees in the world of medicine, mental health, et cetera. And so maybe we get that at scale. Um, we'll see. Maybe that's just not available in the marketplace yet. I'm not sure. But it's definitely something that weighs on us. You know, conscious capitalism, one of the better presentations I've seen, I go every year to the CEO Summit in Austin, Texas. I'm on the national board. I love conscious capitalism. I think we all do. We try to practice it here at The Motley Fool. There was a wonderful presentation once talking about who are your stakeholders, because that's an important decision you make. Who are our stakeholders? And that person said, this is next level thinking for me. I think we do this somewhat. I think we care about this. We haven't necessarily purposed it. I don't know that we should, but I'm putting it out there for anybody else for whom your eyes might light up and you switch on. This person said, you know, an important stakeholder for us is actually the family of our employee. Mm -hmm. So we name our customers. We name our partners and suppliers. We name our employees. But we also include the family of the employee. Now, I know in some ways we're providing some of that support, but I see you both nodding your heads um, that really feels next level, not just for us, but for most companies today. But I always love to know what the next level is. That reminds me of a quote from an author we like called Gretchen Rubin. She says, you're only as happy as the unhappiest person in your house. Mm. Right. And so the more you take care of someone's family, the more you're improving their quality of life. And so that sounds right. And Great now one. those family members are right there with you in your office. Right. <laughs> because we're all working from home. My wife works about gosh, 15 feet away from me. And I will oftentimes lean over and say stuff to her and she'll, or she'll yell something back, like tell Kara not to take that or whatever. (laughs) So they're just, they're a part of our work lives in very real ways now that many of us are working from home. I call them my (laughs) fool-in-laws. All right, let's move on to number eight. Company culture tip, all-time great number eight. Back to you, Lee, what is it? Okay, so I often say, 
we are a project culture. And so here I was talking about in August of 2019, um, side of desk projects. Mm. And so the way I normally describe this is we've noticed that the Motley Fool, it takes about six months to figure out your job. So whatever you've been hired for, after about six months, you kind of got that going. You'll start working a little more efficiently and then you'll create a little bandwidth for yourself. And so we're very curious about what you choose to do with that bandwidth. And we're very open as a company to getting involved in all, all sorts of things. So maybe you're uh, an investor, but you'd like to get on a podcast. Or maybe you're working in human resources and you'd like to do a little bit of coding. And so we highly encourage this sort of journey uh, through your career by using side of desk projects to experiment with things that you might be curious about that could actually end up being your next role. And how many times do we have butterflies turn into different color butterflies here at The Fool, especially for employees who've been with us for um, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years? Andy Cross, our chief investment officer, do you remember what Andy was initially hired into or some of the roles that he's had? He's a good example. I mean, he was doing like ad operations. I think when I start, he was going to, he was running like the back end of our advertisers. We were an advertising based model at that time. I just can remember being here on like a Sunday late at night and Andy was always here. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's not the only one. We have a great recent story. Someone that worked for Kara and I for many years, Christine Noonan, who managed our benefits. We were just talking about our medical benefits and, and, incredible care we try to take there. And now she's a software developer at our company. And so she came forward and said, hey, this is interesting to me. She uh, went to school on her own time. She got involved in some projects here doing a little bit of coding. And now she's a full-time software developer. So to go from benefits manager to software developer, wow. all at the same company, I think a lot of companies would have lost that person without paying attention to allow the kind of culture where you could test out other things, leave the room to learn and encourage it. And we get to retain uh, an incredible human who does amazing work. Yeah, I sure hope Christine's a good coder because she was awfully good at benefits. She's an award-winning <laughs> yes. employee for us, so she must be a really good coder too. Absolutely. All right, all-time great company culture tip number seven. Again, we're going from 10 up to one. Kara, what's number seven? This is one of my favorites, gratitude and thank yous. So this was true back when we did this in 2015. It's still going strong, so that's why I picked it up for our list. But we have a program colloquially called GOLD. It's been a couple different companies. We've used You Earned It, Kazoo, Work Tango. Uh, they've changed names a couple times. But <laughs> we call it GOLD, and hilariously, they never have. But it's really about sharing gratitude. And so every fool gets a set number of points and every month, and then you give out those points when someone does something great that you appreciate um, and you say thank you. And fools, and it's public, so everyone can see it. So that's the key is everybody's watching what great things other people are doing. Um, so they're learning. And then you can cash those points in for gift cards or trips. I just did. Um, and so you can cash the gold in for prizes and so it's a little bit of everything. It's democratizing a bonus program, right? You're not leaving your bonuses in the hands of just your senior leaders to give out. People sure. are giving them to their peers. It builds the habit of gratitude, which is good for your brain and good for your morale. And this came back from, you know, just us learning about how people... I always said this was part of our culture long before we had this program. It's just we, we opened it up and kind of made it accessible. But it, it is still... There are thousands of gold posts that go out every year at The Fool, 24 hours a day, to just kind of fly out there. Just And you read them, and, and they warm your heart. So it's one of my favorites. And 
I was going to say you brought that to the company care because I thought that's what we said seven years ago on the mm-hmm. podcast. But Lee, this was intro. actually this was your doing. It was teamwork. 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 All right, good. Well, speaking of teamwork, you earned it, which was the original name of the program. It was started by Autumn Manning, and Autumn Manning later took that company. She sold it. Um, it changed names a few times, as you mentioned. What What is the present name of this program? Work Tango. Work Tango for those yes. looking for it. But now Autumn is on staff with Motley Fool Ventures. So we were invested in You Earned It. She made us some money as an entrepreneur, and then we later hired her. And now she actively consults with Motley Fool Ventures, venture capital investments that we make. So um, lots of circularity going through this. Part of the fun of doing this series over seven years is we can see things play out. We can see stories like that. In fact, sometimes we've been wrong about some of our tips. Well, our heart was in it at the time, but maybe in retrospect, we look back and say, you know, that one we don't do anymore. And I thought it'd be fun, if you don't mind, park one or two in your minds. We'll do it at halftime of this show. So after number six coming up, I'm going to ask you each for one of the tips we've given through this series that we don't still use for whatever reason. So anyway, lots of circularity. And part of the fun of working together with people over long periods of time is that shared knowledge, that shared experience. So again, thinking Lee, Kara, 24 plus 17 equals 41 years of combined foolishness. And that is such a powerful component really to obviously our culture, but also these this series of podcasts, your knowledge and that you've been there, done that. Okay, so gratitude and thank you, such an important part of our culture at The Fool. Maybe my favorite thing, too. I don't know why you made it number seven, Kara. <laughs> what it implies is that it's about to really heat up here with more and more awesome. Lee, what is company culture tip all-time great number six? So number six I call small surprises. And this is something I talk about in a new manager class that I uh, teach periodically as as we grow. And it's really about paying attention to the people that work for you and the little things that are happening in their lives that you can recognize. And it doesn't need to just be birthdays. It could be a special anniversary. It could be knowing what kind of chocolate they like to eat, that sort of thing. Normally, it's a very small expense to, in today's world, ship something to their house or have something to their desk or even just acknowledge something that's going on in their life. That really shows that you're paying attention, that you care, and you uh, understand who they are as a person. It's not just about the work. And I find this to be very powerful for uh, team building and for leading teams when when you all show that, hey, we care about each other. So, you know, it's little things like I know that someone on my team loves the 100 grand bar. And I try to, when they, they're normally mostly available around Halloween and I try to get those and get them to her. Um, Kara and I have worked together a very long time. And she can just tell when I'm having a little bit of a rough time. And all of a sudden, in, uh, somewhere on my desk or in the mail will um, arrive a box of Mike and Ike's, which she knows is my all-time <laughs> favorite candy. Awesome. Right? And it's the little things like that. And so when the Mike and Ike show up on my desk, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't put a card in there or anything. I know I'm like, Kara's just saying like, hey, hang in there. It's going to be okay. It's a big <laughs> oh, deal. Great examples. And there are dozens and dozens, hundreds of them because they're small surprises. Lee. And one thing I know that we do as a company, again, I'm putting myself in the seat of the entrepreneur listening to us right now. Do we have a way of storing that information? Do we do we purpose it? Is it all just manager driven? Or would I as a fellow employee think about that? I will say that I've benefited from kind of dropping a note into the team from time to time about this or that employee. And you'll know like three to five things that that person likes. I don't think that 
came about through osmosis. I think it came about through some intention or process. Could you pull back the curtain a little bit and explain how we manage that information or do it? Well, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, part of it comes from just Kara and I working here a really long time. Um, but it's also about paying attention and tracking and everything from, you could just use a Google sheet to, we use some of our HRS systems. So there's places in there where people can self-identify the things that they like. Um, you mentioned people's families. That's also very important. Um, I, I, I tell a story in that class about the day that Tom Gardner, um, my boss, acknowledged my wife's uh, birthday when and work anniversary when no one at her office did, right? And so imagine the loyalty I feel in that moment when something like that happens. And then imagine six months later, something really big and difficult is going on at work and he needs to call on me, um, right, or ask something of me. We've really built up some loyalty in that scenario. So yeah, there's all kinds of ways to track it. And I don't think you have to be um, two bananas about it, but just noticing those little things and celebrate them. It's just, yeah, it means a lot. Um, I don't know, Carrie, you're kind of, in, uh, you handle all of our people analytics and data. Are there point, hidden plot boxes that I'm not aware of where we're hiding this information? <laughs> no, I would just say, I, um, I realize right now that it's almost an implicit expectation on everyone on the people team to build those relationships. And so I think if Lee and I didn't know the person and we would be able to go into our channel and say, does anyone work closely with this and be like, oh my gosh, yes, she loves cats or something like that. We would, we would know. And I think we hired three or four people on our team, maybe more during the pandemic. And I think we were very explicit. And when we recruited them, they would be the type of people that wanted to build those relationships mm -hmm. regardless of their job. Um, and so I think that that I think that we, I just realized now that that's, that's an in, implicit expectation for everyone on our team is to kind of build those relationships. I'm going to make a request of you both, though, because it occurs to me that we won't live forever, that the three of us won't always be at the moment. I'm definitely going to die first of the three <laughs> we're of us. Hoping, uh, I think I will. Anyway, we're hoping that we're building something that outlives us. One of the better speeches I've ever seen given uh, by a business person was Danny Meyer speaking at a conference. And Danny said, he's the great restaurateur, Union Square Hospitality Group, his New York City-based restaurant group. He's written a great book called Setting the Table that many of our listeners will be familiar with. And if you aren't, go ahead and read it and understand what true hospitality is. Anyway, Danny said, as a younger man, as he built out his company, he had a great intuitive, implicit sense of how to make a great restaurant. And indeed, his first restaurant was very highly rated, but then he needed to expand. He wanted to expand. So he had a second restaurant and a third. And because he was only just him, he couldn't be at all three restaurants. And so the talk and the framework he gave is about turning your intuition into intention. And so he began to realize he needed to train in certain things he took for granted so that the team, when he wasn't on site, because he could only be on site at one place, when the team would still be awesome when he wasn't around. And that's the way Union Square Hospitality Group, in a sense, scaled, because intuition turned to intention. So I'm simply going to ask back of both of you to make sure, if you haven't already baked it into a process of small surprise identification and capture of that information and holding it into database and having some people accountable for it. If we're not already doing that, and I think we probably kind of are, so I'm grandstanding a little bit here, but I would ask both of you to make sure that we do, because one day we won't all be at The Motley Fool, but I sure do want The Motley Fool to be doing that just as great as you both are doing it every day here in 2022. 
Thank you. And again, uh, not to harp on this too much, but I do think it's something that we learned from both you and Tom. Very early on, I would observe you paying for a bill, um, recognizing um, something small for someone. I think you both famously know every person's name that worked at the company. And we hear that all the time. We just heard it recently. Someone that works in our team who was in the office says, I can't believe David Gardner knows my name. And that, that seems maybe um, so simple, but it's so powerful. Little things like that are so powerful. My brother, Tom Gardner, is the most generous person I know. Thank you, Lee. All right. Well, we've reached halftime. And just a few minutes ago, I asked you each to provide at least one of the past 90 tips. Again, nine podcasts, 10 culture tips each over these last seven years. Surely at least one or two of those ended up not working for us or we've discarded. And I'm sure listeners know we're just as vulnerable and, uh, well, foolish as anybody else. And so we learn as we go. And so I think it'd be fun to highlight a couple of those. So thank you both for doing that. This is halftime of the show, of course, because we've done five. There are five more to come. So we couldn't hire Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson, <laughs> but we do have this brief musical interlude letting our listeners know it's halftime. raising your hand to volunteer. You go first. <laughs> well, I'm thinking back to May of 2016, and the tip was how we do as little as possible. And so the concept there was to keep things simple, right? And uh, Karen and I like to look for places where things are over-engineered and people aren't having as much fun, and how, how do we make things more simple? And <laughs> one place that I've, I've, I've always sort of um, help to manage our uh, reception area. And, you know, there can be some tedious parts to being a, being a receptionist, and we've wanted to raise up that job and, and allow those people to do um, other more impactful things at the company. And so we got this idea from one of our partners that we could have a virtual receptionist. Ah, uh, yes, I remember this. <laughs> it was just an iPad, and so you'd walk into the uh, into the lobby. It was <laughs> actually a large iPad, as I recall. You'd walk into the lobby... <laughs> And the idea was there's like, you know, Max Headroom sort of person there that's like, hey, welcome to the lobby and let me help you. But <laughs> what, what was actually happening was you were interfacing with someone who was like, you know, off in Des Moines or somewhere and they were sort of like doing something else in their living room and they happened upon you. And, you, and it was this very awkward interaction that just did not work very well. So in our minds, we were really solving a, a problem. We were uh, giving someone here who's in a role to do bigger and better things and outsourcing it to a contractor who's happy to do it from home. But in reality, it was just super awkward. It was it was really eerie. You'd walk <laughs> in and a place of reception, I think, is supposed to be sort of a warm, welcoming place. And there was a screen. And while you say Max Headroom, uh, Lee, that was a AI generated, right? That was all, Max was never a person, but we had a real person. It was a real human in and, their and, living room. And I think it was, I'm not even sure, like it was a big iPad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like iPad. a big screen. I mean, I, 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 of course, embellishing, but I'm picturing like a 50-inch HD TV. It wasn't quite that, but it was like a big face there. And uh, I don't think Danny Meyer would have been too happy with <laughs> the reception that we had created. <laughs> Okay, that was from May 2016. That was our second. That was volume two of this series. And I think that one lasted, Lee, how long did that experiment last? It was about a week before there was a revolt. And we were like, well, can we have humans back that are in the office and paying attention? Oh. 
I'm looking across the glass. Rick Engdahl, did you have an? Ex- do, do you remember our virtual receptionist? I thought it, she lasted more like a month. It was just a week. I don't think anybody can not remember the virtual receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would. Uh, the weird thing for me is that sometimes because our, our lobby was also like kind of a corridor there. You'd go to conference rooms or go to the elevators and you'd be walking through the lobby, not necessarily trying to interact. <laughs> and so you'd be walking past the desk and suddenly someone would shout out like, hello, can I help you? <laughs> And it's like, no, I'm just walking. Who are? What? Don't and, bother me. And what are you? I, I don't think any of our human receptionists ever did that. You, you might wave or something. Kara, for me anyway, that one's going to be hard to top. But looking back over the 90, what do you see that you wouldn't necessarily advocate for as strongly now in 2022? I would say in our culture, and it's a similar theme of the robots. Um, and so <laughs> I... <laughs> I've mentioned Donut more than once. Donut is a Slack app that randomly pairs, as I said at the beginning, that randomly pairs you with a person to have coffee. Yeah. And I love it. I love the concept. It will. There was one called Pint Time where you could go and have a happy hour with four random fools. In theory, that sounds amazing. In practice, to get four random fools, especially now to get together in person, is impossible. But what we found was it just, there are some of us that still use it. And by the way, we love Donut as a Slack app. It is fun. It does a lot of our onboarding, too. But it never fully took off because people did not like being told what to do by a robot. It says, hey, Lee, you're scheduled to have coffee with Rick. And Lee would be like, ignore, ignore. And everyone would do that. <laughs> and we're like, and then they would message me and be like, Can, how do I turn off that donut? It's yelling at me. It tells me I need to be friends with Rick. And they would just get really frustrated and turn it off. Um, and, and so, again, I think this is a great tool and a lot of companies use it. I love the randomness, but I think in our culture, we have spent a lot of intentionality around building those interpersonal connections in other ways that it never took off the way I hoped it would. And in fact, I can remember, I think earlier this year, someone from our team did like, we've paired you for coffee. Everybody's going to meet for coffee at four o'clock on Thursday. And we're like, that was so great. I met with my four people because someone intentionally wrote a spreadsheet and they like found those groups of people. Someone took the care and they reached out personally and got us to join. And everybody's like, that was so much fun. Why don't we do that more often? I'm like, this donut robot's been doing it for years. (laughs) Um, Nope. People do not want to be taught. Like, there's just so far that a nudge will take you. Um, And I've noticed it in a couple of areas in our team. Like, you need a person, right, in some cases to get you to do a thing. Um, Well, I will say, as a frequent donut participant, I really did find it fun and I enjoyed it. But I also have to admit... I haven't done it for See? some years now, so it sort of yells at you sometimes. Yeah, it's like <laughs> David, have you not met with yeah, Kara? Yeah, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's watching it me. We needed to confirm with a thumb up or thumb down that we had it. It felt compulsory, and it felt like there was a deadline. You're like, did you talk? So anyway, yeah. All, all right. right. Well, so, I, so you're not throwing any shade, no, donuts way. I, we still I, love our. Do- I, I love, love random pairing. I love it too. I think just it didn't it didn't fit the it didn't automate the way that I had hoped it would. All right? right. I think it still needs a little bit. Uh, Lee, you talked about this once. Like the human plus the robot is what we need. Um, and, and so a full robot telling you how to make friends, like, again, still think we should use it, still think other companies should use it, but it only went so far for us. I hear the ambivalence. Okay. That one was from August of 2017. That was great company culture volume three. So there are a couple of things that haven't stood the test of time in Motley Fool culture. Let's now bid adieu to our halftime entertainment. 
and get closer to the mountaintop. Friends, we are now at our top five all-time great company culture tips. For number five, Kara, we turn to you. Yeah, so this came up twice, August 2019 and originally in December 2015. It was about trust. And I heard myself in 2015, my early career was in recruiting at The Fool, and I talked a lot about hiring great people and then setting them free. Um, And so you never want to have this kind of adversarial relationship with the people that work for you. You want want people that you love and give lots of freedom to. So I can remember my early days of recruiting, anytime someone said, I think they're going to get bored in this job, I would say, no. Uh, People never get bored. They will find new things to do, as Lee said, new projects, things like that. So I think the trust of hiring smart people that you want to partner with, people generally, uh, in all my years of coaching, um, they generally want to do great work. They just want to be trusted. And so it is about kind of that, no matter what, um, with our no vacation policy, no set schedule, no dress code. I I haven't even thought about dress code in a while. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think kind of setting your own priorities and, and, and kind of just working towards those, I think that's kind of where we really learned to say it's really at the theme and it came up kind of more than once in different ways. So I felt like this made it to Mm -hmm. the top five. Wear what you want. Work when you want. Choose your own priorities. I think a lot of people um, hear that, and it sounds great, but in practice, they wonder, could they? Could I actually implement that at my company? And I know we've never counted vacation days. We've certainly made a lot of that over the years. We've been written up as the company. Sometimes we're in a headline, the company with unlimited vacation policy. Everybody can be on vacation all the time. Um, if they wish. And in practice, of course, that doesn't happen, Kara. A big part of trust is trust knowing what you're trusting. And when you do hire great people, you can trust them to be great, not to take unlimited permanent vacation from their job, which, by the way, wouldn't really work that well since their teammates would be expressing that and we'd, we'd find out that there's a performance problem pretty quickly. But trust... Yes. And again, it came from our recruiting days of hiring people that wanted to do great work. And I will add a tip. There's a book that recently has described this really well to us. It's it's called Impact Players by Liz Wiseman, okay. who has come the closest to really describing what that type of person is. Um, and I say it's applicable anywhere. And, and it was kind of like reinforcing all the things we do about the types of behaviors you see in people. Um, and we looked for that before we even could describe it when we were recruiting, and we still do, people you can trust. We've done a number of calls through the years with other companies who are trying to adopt this sort of approach. And it's hard because their question normally is, okay, well, what should the policy look like when we write it for how to trust people? And for like, what we're trying to tell you is, no, you just trust them. And, and so you just have to kind of jump in and go for it. And that can be scary for a lot of companies, but we love when we get the calls back that are like, I did it. I got everybody convinced and we just went for it and we tore up some of our things. And now we just hire great people and trust them to do great work, give them some goals to go after and... Um, It's pretty special when you can get it rocking and rolling. Do you find this has been particularly important in an era now where we're not actually seeing people every day at work? We're not, we never looked over anyone's shoulder, but at least we kind of knew if they were there and if they're smiling or if they're sad at their desk. We don't see people nearly as much in 2022, even post-pandemic, as we once did at The Fool. So is trust more important? I mean, that was a big deal back when we were all coming into the office you would get managers who would say, well, they don't come in, so I don't know if they're really working. 
you know, people would question each other if they weren't coming into the office. And so now you realize, no, it's actually, it's fine. People are still out there getting their work done. I don't need to see them every day. I think that was just more tradition than uh, an actual, you know, metrics-based uh, policy. And Kara, Liz Wiseman, spelled as we would think with an A. And so I kind of love that that among fools, we're quoting a Wiseman. Nice. Impact players. I haven't read it. Sounds good. It's All an right. amazing book. All right. On to company culture tip, all-time great number four. Lee. Okay, so this one dovetails nicely with number five, and I hope that's allowed because I was particularly excited about how this one aged. So back when we presented it in August of 2017, uh, it was pretty early in Agile and Scrum um, taking over the world. And we have a fool here, Brian Ty and Chad Wolfsheimer, who brought to us the idea that desks should be on wheels. And it was revolutionary at the time that within our office, you could just get up and move your desk whenever you wanted and wherever you wanted. So if you're working on a different team or a different project or you needed to have quiet or you wanted to be in the loud space, you literally just roll your desk wherever you wanted. And that was a big deal in our culture. And I love this. And so mobility is what I called that tip okay. back then. And today, how does that represent itself? We at The Motley Fool are open in 17 different states in the United States, and fools can go work from any one of those states that they want to. And it's a big deal for us now, and we're seeing uh, a lot of people moving closer to their families or closer to a support network that um, Kara mentioned earlier, the importance of support networks or maybe a cheaper cost of living or a place where they can be more efficient. It's opened up avenues for us to find new, new pockets of talent. Um, that, you know, we don't have to just search here in our immediate office area. So anyway, we are fully in the camp of embracing mobility, letting people work from wherever they are going to feel like they're going to be most effective. And it's a big deal for us. So again, back in the day, it was drag your desk around. Today it is, hey, pack up your old house and move to North Carolina. Yeah, it did. It started with wheels on chairs and mm -hmm. wheels on desks. Lee, you mentioned 17 states. What state do you wish we were open in or do some of our employees wish we were open in that we're not yet open in to work for full-time for The Motley Fool? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we're, we're pretty continuous now on the East Coast. Uh, we have California. We have Texas. I'm trying to think who, who else is on Illinois? the list. Illinois? Mm. Not Illinois. That's a big popular state with Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, I think people tend to move to the more warmer areas of the country. Okay, so we tend to be open in warmer <laughs> states. Yes, I think that's that's where people are so headed. Maybe Georgia. Minnesota. Or, can you, you can't work for the fool from Minnesota right now? No, you oh. cannot right now. I think Georgia is probably on that list. Some people would probably like to get down to Georgia. Okay. Um, Alabama. Um, our, our beloved CFO is from Alabama as a few are another fool, few other fools. And I think they would they would love for us to open that state at some point. You know, I think implicit in this conversation is the notion that this is working, that mm -hmm. this will work. And I know so many people right now are wondering the future of work. There are conferences dedicated to this. Uh, we are but one example. We are sample size of one as a company. I really only know our company and how we're doing what we're doing. It feels like it's working well enough right now. I mean, as a, as a business, we're not having a great year, but we've already talked about that. All of our listeners know that. The stock market's down. I was checking it just before today's podcast. The S&P 500 is down 20% this year. One-fifth of its value gone in less than one year, year to date. The NASDAQ has lost one-third of its value. So 
Friends, in some of these past podcasts we've done together, Lee and Kara, we might have had an ABR mentality, always be recruiting. I mean, I, I still think we're ABR, but we don't necessarily have a lot of open positions right now. But for this company of 600 people now living in 17 states, how well do you think it's working? And are we going to keep going this direction? Is it going to be 27 states and 37 states? Or will there be some kind of re-cohering? Like, for example, I'm enjoying doing this podcast with you guys in the studio in our old offices once again. There's a lot of big questions there. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of stuck it in here on number four. <laughs> and don't go long, because otherwise it'll be too long a podcast. And we've actually had some conversation along these mm -hmm. lines for some of our past comedy culture tips. But since you're here with me and we're taking the temperature here short of Thanksgiving in 2022, I thought, why not? I mean, I can give the high-level answer, I think, and I'm sure Kara has some statistics to back it up. Um, I would say in terms of getting your work done, efficiency, productivity, we're doing well. Um, and I think the technology is a huge part of that. Mm. So, you know, things like just Google Docs that are, are shareable and um, using Zoom and uh, Trello and Jira. And so having all the right technology has, has I think, helped a lot. Um, we have long tenure here, so we have a lot of people that sort of knew each other going into it. But then we have hired a lot of new people. I think where our challenges lie ahead are really staying connected. And so I don't, I don't know of any company really that has um, uncovered the way that connectivity is going to work in this new world of work. You know, we've all done the, um, you know, cooking classes and things on Zoom. And, and I, think, I think I see companies doing their best, and I think we are too. But there's some next level that I'm excited about that I think we haven't unlocked yet that probably has to do with smaller groups of people geographically located getting together and breaking bread in, in some sorts of ways. But I think that's that's still a big opportunity for us. I was just looking back in December of 2019. Um, one of my tips number six was play games in the office. And so that just doesn't work anymore exactly the same way. And Although so, I will say that this month we're playing a company-wide Codenames tournament using a combination of Codenames.game, which is the website where you can actually play that wonderful, accessible, family-oriented word game Codenames that I've talked about on this podcast in the past. It's a great interface online, and you pair it with Zoom, you can play a good game of Codenames with people from anywhere. And we have a couple hundred fools playing Codenames this month. So, Lee... We're still playing games, but yeah. I hear you. I hear yeah. you. There's an opportunity there, I think. And hey, by the way, everyone in, in my network is getting, is it called So Clover? So Clover is an outstanding board game yes. that came out this year. You introduced that to me. I loved it. And so all my friends and family are getting one. So glad to hear it. You might be previewing next month's Games, 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 uh -huh. once a year episode that I do in this podcast where I talk about the best games to put under someone's tree this I'll year. Listen. Glad to hear that. Kara, before we go on to our top three to close, any further thoughts? Uh, the only one I'd add is I think it's something all companies are still learning, especially the, a company that went from such an office center culture is that um, asynchronous work. We, I think we are still in the kind of wall-to-wall -wall meetings type of culture and, and helping us kind of think about who's in different time zones, who's working. I, I think we, we it's taken a little longer for us to break, break those habits. That's normal. So I think a company that going remote, you want to think about asynchronous work a mm. little bit more. And so I, to me, I think that's probably our next challenge ahead to uh, think about that zone. Awesome. All right, a drum roll, please, Rick Engdahl. 
And here we go. Our top three all-time great company culture tips. It's going to be Kara, then Lee, then Kara. Team, let's go. Kara, number three. Number three is find your own metrics. So I think this is a thread that has gone through when we talk about trust and, you know, how we measure work. This is our metric as we measure by engagement surveys. But I think having metrics gives you a lot of freedom in general. But when you ask things like, is this working? We, we put that in our engagement survey and we check uh, and then we track. And, and so we use a tool called Culture Amp, which we've probably talked about a number of times here. Culture Amp. Culture Amp. And they really do a great job of, let's say you are on the West Coast and the example I just gave and you are feeling less connected because people aren't working in your same time zone or you have to get up at the crack of dawn to go to all your meetings. We would start seeing that in our survey and it would be something we address. I'm making that up, but that would be an example of... Mm-hmm. Just a chance for people to kind of, what we talked about, uncovering what's happening. And so I kind of divided it into three categories. One is before and after, right? So if we people say they need more feedback, we might start a new feedback program and then measure to see if it worked. There's also just pinpointing or what populations are struggling with a certain thing. Yeah. Um, that really helps us. So they are able to help us cut demographically um, in different ways. And then finally, it really, we've been talking about this recently, but sometimes we uncover big questions in that survey and it just gets people to start talking, all right? And it gets people to open up and talking about how to have healthy disagreements or how to give feedback or anything like that. So our surveys are taken seriously. They're, they're read by everybody on our senior leadership team. And we use it as a metric, but it also is a moment for us to pause and say, are these tips working? So if I'm looking at these tips, you can tell the ones that have worked for us are the ones that we've measured and proven over time. Um, and sometimes they work for lots of people and sometimes they work for certain populations and not others. And every time it's just a good feedback loop for us. So measure. Uh, and again, if you are in a company that does engagement surveys or doesn't do engagement surveys and you're in a position where you can run one, absolutely oh, yeah. um, do that. And we do it twice a year. Twice a year. And Kara, I know what it is because I take it, I've taken it many times. Uh, Roughly how many questions do we ask typically on our twice a year engagement survey? Uh, I want to say it's about 40. Mm -hmm. Um, And and because they're they're agree-disagree questions, you can crank through them pretty fast. I learned it's five a minute. That's a tip I learned. Um, And then maybe one or two open-ended just to get people talking about what's on their mind. And again, it helps our team uncover like what's happening there. And roughly how many of those 40 questions from one six-month period to the next repeat? And then how many are new? I'm going to guess half over time, right? Because sometimes we'll ask a question and then we'll read the answers and be like, I don't think people understood that or (laughs) I don't don't even know what we're going to do with these. And so I have a meeting (laughs) that leads in like every other week and say, what are we really going to ask? What do we really want to know? How are we going to respond? And so I would say it's about 50-50. Sometimes we make up our own. Sometimes we find some that are industry best practices that we can benchmark off of. We have our own recipe every time. Love it. And what percentage roughly of our employees fill out our twice-a-year engagement surveys? It's usually in the mid-80s, like 85%. That is awesome. I'm not going to steal from Lee's next point. I kind of am here. We don't make it compulsory. But I think we've had such high engagement with that survey, Lee and Kara, because as you just said, the leadership team at our company reads not just the results, but often my brother Tom talks about reading every single comment because people can make comments. 600 people can make comments up and down their 40 questions. Those comments are read and the results are acted upon. You both, Tom and our team, 
make a huge point in the following six months of saying, here's what we heard from you. These are the areas we're focusing on for improvement, and then you retest later. So there's a talk about trust. This was all-time great company culture tip number five just a little while ago. When you have trust in place, people will engage, and the whole flywheel dynamic starts setting in. And The better you get, the better you'd better get, and I think we do get better by maintaining the trust that leads to engagement. All right, company culture tip, all-time great number two. Lee? Well, you've alluded to it. It's something that I find myself saying a lot, and it is compelling, not mandatory. And this really comes from uh, me growing up in the world of human resources and in my early days not enjoying being the HR police. It's no fun to run around and make people do stuff. Adults. Yes. Things like filling out performance reviews, attending training, reading company communication, or even attending like happy hours and things like that. Um, And so I I try to really uh, think about for myself and talk about with our team. If people aren't showing up or they're not doing the thing that you're asking them to do, instead of getting angry with those folks and trying to make them do things, go back and redesign what you're doing such that they're going to want to do it. And then you'll know you have a really great program. So things like the engagement survey that Kara runs, we have high participation because there's a lot of care that goes into that to make it amazing and to make it powerful and that we do follow up, right? And so if, if you find yourself out there in the world trying to make people do things, what I like to say is, those are sometimes the easiest things to stop doing mm. and the things that you'll get the most accolades for because people are stoked and you're like, oh, you mean I don't have to do that thing that I can't stand doing anymore? The Wicked Witch is dead. <laughs> yes, and and instead we're going to do something fun and enjoyable. And so, yeah, performance appraisals, we sort of, uh, I think we were a very early company to stop doing those because we saw that people just don't like doing them and they weren't very effective. And, and we've invented other ways that we've talked about in this in this podcast before. So make things compelling and it's a lot more fun for everybody. This is just a classic Lee Burbage tip. So I'm glad that you parked it here for your top number two in this case, just because we're alternating. But Lee, that's your top tip. I'm not saying you should put something like this on your gravestone, but I think you have (laughs) truly embodied this and championed this at our company for years. I've seen you give at least one TEDx talk speaking to this in part. Lee, have you written a book about this or an article? Like, this is your point. I think you kind of own this one. Well, and this could be one of those things where maybe I did read this somewhere or someone else. I don't know. But it's definitely it's something that I that I, I love and is meaningful to me. The first time I think I saw it in action in my career was I worked for Bank of America in, in my early days. And I was supporting the bank system. You know, I used to go into the bank and, and meet with a teller, for instance. And we had huge turnover. And a lot of the things that I dealt with were people that were showing up late uh, or not showing up at all or quitting. It was it was a real problem. And when I investigated, what I found was the job was horrible. And so we were spending all of our time trying to force people to get to work on time with policies and threats and firings and all of these things, trying to get people to force them to do something that just wasn't fun. And so what I wanted to do instead was, why don't we look at the job itself and see if we can't make it more interesting? The reason people are coming in late is because they don't want to be there. Let's make it so they do. All right, the grand finale. This better be the best of all, Kara, because we've positioned it in the poll position, number one. Kara Chambers, Lee Burbage, thank you both so much for a special week 
uh, best of. You can only do best of if you have some pretty good stuff, and you can only do best of if you've done some pretty good stuff for a long period of time. And here we are, our 10th Company Culture Tip podcast, the best of. And speaking of best of, what is the single greatest all-time company culture tip that has issued from our series, Kara? No pressure. No I mean, pressure. I, I, I'm not. I'm not hyping this at all. <laughs> I, I'm 100% confident in this. It is caring matters. Um, and so when I look back, and you can hear it in what we talked about today, is showing that you care um, matters more than anything. So if you do nothing else, and you take nothing else away. In our engagement survey, we ask, does someone at work care about you as a person, your manager, somebody? And about 95% of will say yes. And I think it's just important to build a community. And that is when we've grown to 600 people. It's when we've hired, I don't know, 200 people remotely in a global pandemic. I think that that's been true the entire time, all seven years that we've been doing this podcast, all 17 years I've been working here. Probably, I'm assuming, the history of The Fool. Um, so I think for us, it's just come all the way through. And we were putting this together last night, as usual. And I was looking in our benefits channel, and there was a fool saying, I'm trying to get into the into the doctor on demand to my toddler sick. It's 830 at night. And moments later, another fool who didn't know her said, I know how it is. Here's the app. Here's the password. Here's how to get in. They didn't know each other. They just had the common experience of a sick toddler. Um, and they... They helped each other without any of us being involved at all because those were people, the types of people we hired. And then later, HR stepped in, helped her get on there or something. So I think, again, just seeing that example almost pretty much every day here is really um, how it works. So just, we talk about community, right? The, the people that look out for you once you join the Fool, you're part of our community. And, and that's how uh, we would close it. Well, I mean, what's great about Kara's story is when she and I saw each other today, it's the first thing we talked about, the thing we were most proud about, that 8.37 at night, East Coast Standard Time, someone out in our fool community was struggling and other fools were jumping in to help them. Um, no one asked them to do it. That's just who we are. I think that culture of caring is palpable. You just, you know it exists. You see it everywhere. And uh, I know Karen and I just beam with pride uh, as we see it exhibited every day across fooldom. And one thing I'm conscious of, I'm never wanting us, and I, I hope we haven't done this in this amazing 10-part series now. I hope we haven't been bragging. I hope we haven't been saying, we're so great and look what we're doing. I hope we've also never been saying, this can only be done by us. In fact, the whole point of this series and all of the contributions, Kara and Lee, that you have made to this series are freely sharing what we're trying, what we think works no strings attached. Some of the things that we've shared will be highly relevant and eye-opening, and some of the others, depending on who you are, might not even apply. But I really appreciate that you took the time to say that, Kara, that the care is clear. And care is not something that we have a monopoly on or that we're even the best at. Care is something that every one of us hearing us right now is capable of at an individual level to start with, but then certainly at a family or community level, certainly at a corporate level, and maybe especially that last part, at a corporate level, seems surprising to some. And I guess I shouldn't even say corporate, I should just say business or professional, because we're not just talking about corporations here. You might work for the government, you might work for an NGO. Everyone can care, and every workplace can be caring. Every workplace can be more caring. And boy, if it doesn't count for so much. Thank you for that, Carrie. You know, I was put in mind of the great Maya Angelou quote. I'm sure 
I've rocked this on the podcast before. I'm sure many of us are familiar, but if you haven't heard this one, I've learned that people will forget what you said, Maya Angelou, the poet, said. We'll forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Kara and Lee, you've made me feel like a pro because I get to, in some ways, share in this or sound like I deserve credit as a co-founder of this. I know Tom and I feel the same way. You both have brought your own unique vision, your professionalism, your love of the tradition of HR, your belief that we can do it better, that we're never going to get there. You can always top it. In fact, I'd be the first to say, dear listener, if there's anything we shared with you this week in our best of that you think you can top or that puts you in mind of something new, rbi at fool.com is our email address. And we do have a mailbag at the end of every month. I'd love to hear reactions, challenges, or better ideas shared out from our listenership. Kara, Lee, thank you very much. This has been spectacular. This was the besties, pre-besties. <laughs> I'm going to do a besties later this year of our best podcast. I'm going to forewarn you, this will be in our besties this week that we spent together, in part because I think it's so relevant to so many people listening because we're all working somewhere, most of us. Even if you're retired, you're working somewhere, and we're trying to make it better. Kara, Lee, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com. 